My very first semester here at the University of Connecticut, I took an introduction to film course. We started with a lot of film history basics, stuff like the invention of the movie camera, we talked about Thomas Edison, the Lumiere brothers, George Melier, and a whole host of other men who played an important role in shaping the film industry as it stands today. But you know who we didn't talk about? Alice Guy Blachet, the woman who film historians credit as the first person ever to tell a fictional narrative on film. And as much as I brag about being an avid moviegoer and am fascinated by all things cinema, I have to admit that it was not until this year in a course on women in film that I actually came across that name for the first time. When we learn history, more often than not, we're learning about what happened through the eyes of men. And I wanted to use this anecdote to prove that when it comes to Hollywood, things aren't much different. My name is Andrew Smith, and welcome to Statue Chat. On today's episode, I'm diving deep into how the 2019 Oscars are representing women, both in the nominations and the films themselves. Later in the pod, you'll hear my interview with Catherine Page, a professor of women's studies here at UConn. But first, here are some facts. According to the annual Celluloid Ceiling Report, of the top 100 grossing films in 2018, women directed only 4% of them, down 4 points from last year. At the same time, an IndieWire article cites a study that no film since 2012 has made more than $1 billion worldwide without passing the Bechdel test, a popular assessment used to analyze the abundance and quality of female representation in film. The dissonance between these two reports is shocking to me. One clearly illustrates that there's a massive amount of work that needs to be done to get women behind the camera, and the other proves that the Hollywood myth of female leads not selling is blatantly untrue. So, let's take a look at how the 2019 Oscars represent the state of women in film today. I want to start with the nominations for Best Director, because to me, it's one of the most upsetting categories. Last year, Greta Gerwig's nomination for her film Lady Bird made her only the fifth woman in history ever to have been nominated, with Catherine Bigelow being the only woman ever to have won back in 2008 for The Hurt Locker. Although they might not have been box office gold, this year was filled with critical successes directed by women. From Chloe Zhao's The Rider, Lynn Ramsey's You Were Never Really Here, and Tamara Jenkins' Private Life, just to name a few. The Academy's repeated lack of support for female directors reflects a society that continues to undervalue the work women are doing behind the camera, even when it's incredibly bold, daring, and innovative, as all three of the aforementioned films are. Additionally, in 2017, Rachel Morrison made history as the first female to be nominated for Best Cinematography for her work on Mudbound. She also shot Black Panther, which, despite it being a critical and commercial success, seemed to leave her out of the conversation. This flaw can no doubt be correlated to the overwhelmingly male presence of the Academy, but also to the film critics, the majority of whom are male. Only by achieving equal representation in all fields of cinema can we begin to cultivate a creative field that places equal emphasis on the work of all genders. When it comes to Best Picture nominations, there are two films this year that I really want to highlight when it comes to their portrayal of women. The Favorite and Roma. First up, The Favorite, which in the interest of journalistic integrity, I must admit was one of my favorite movies of the year. The film is a period drama that takes place in 18th century England and examines life in court under the rule of Queen Anne. And while traditionally such a film would probably exemplify the epitome of what it means to be a prim and proper lady, this one turns that trope on its head. 
I don't want to bore you with a play-by-play summary of the film, especially because I insist that you should see it for yourself, but essentially, the plot examines the role women play in court, specifically following two women, Lady Sarah and Abigail, as they both desperately attempt to win and keep the Queen's favor. One thing I love about this movie is how utterly expendable all the men are, and they're often shown as looking completely ridiculous in these extravagant court outfits and lavish makeup schemes. Meanwhile, Sarah and Abigail weaponize their sexuality and use calculated logic as they play the games of court and fight to come out on top. Part of the film's success can no doubt be attributed to the powerhouse actresses placed front and center, all three earning well-deserved nominations for their performances, with Olivia Coleman being nominated for Best Lead Actress in the role of Queen Anne, and Emma Stone and Rachel Weisz being nominated for Best Supporting Actress in the role of Abigail and Lady Sarah, respectively. All in all, the film gives an extremely nuanced portrayal of female desire, power, and sexuality in a way that I haven't seen on screen in a very long time. My hope is that the Academy's recognition of this unique film will bolster other filmmakers and encourage them to provide audiences with more specific and varying images of women on screen. Opposite the grand scale and extravagance of The Favorite is a film like Roma, whose exceptionalism lies in its subtle depiction of everyday life. Set in the titular neighborhood of Mexico City, director Alfonso Cuaron has described the film as an homage to his childhood and memories of growing up in Mexico. And while the film may be a reflection of those memories, it is not Cuaron as a young boy or any other members of the central family who play the protagonist. Rather, the experience of Cleo, the family's live-in maid, is the focal point of the film. As cracks begin to appear in the initially sound familial foundation, Quaron has a standby Cleo as she is left to pick up the pieces while simultaneously juggling her own personal affairs. Although the film's plot appears simplistic enough on the surface, Quaron's mastery of the camera endows incredible scope and scale into what otherwise would be just a dreary family drama. The film's nomination for Best Picture is not only exciting due to its potential to be the first ever foreign language film to win the honor, but also because of its intimate nature and how it spotlights the type of working-class women who rarely lead feature films. And for the Academy to recognize and possibly award such a unique film, it has the potential to actively reshape our notions of everything from domestic work all the way to immigration. All this is topped off by Yelitsa Aparicio's nomination for Best Actress, which not only is this her first ever film performance, it also makes her the first indigenous woman ever to be nominated for the honor. Those are a few of the things that really stood out to me regarding this year's nominations and the representation of women. But seeing as my goal here is to offer an array of diverse perspectives on the Oscars, I think that's just about enough from the white cis male host. Here are some highlights from my conversation with Professor Page. She gave some really good insight into the films themselves and the state of Hollywood as a whole. Enjoy! In terms of Hollywood and its representation of women over the past, say, five, ten years, and especially movies that are nominated for awards, have you noticed a considerable change in representation? I think it's getting better. I think it's not just that we see different races, which of course is important, but I think women who are up for Best Actress, the characters have more of an internal life, right? There's more complexity. They're allowed to be both good and bad, and they're not just the wives or the mothers or the girlfriend. And so this year, I think we see different ages. You don't just see what you might call like that movie star look, you know, where it's Nicole Kidman is kind of like this model, but different types of beauty on screen. So I definitely think it's getting better. 
And one thing uh, in terms of ages, uh, Glenn Close is nominated this year for The Wife, which is a very, like, she's at the center of the movie. You know, it's very feminist in its depiction of her. And I'm curious if you could just talk a bit about kind of her career and how, you know, what she's doing for representation of older women versus the traditional, like you were saying, younger movie star. Yeah, I think we're starting to see better representations of older women. We have people like Helen Mirren, too. I think, unfortunately, she's not going to get this award for this work, which is the example of one where I thought was really internal, but you could see it reflected on her face. But I think she's going to get it for a body of work because she's one of those actresses who hasn't been awarded enough for her career. So I think she might win, but it's not because we're embracing older actresses. It's because, you know, they think she personally deserves it, which is true. And obviously the uh, actress and supporting actress category is changing, but one thing that has been very consistently male-dominated is the technical aspects of the industry, both in the numbers themselves and who gets nominated. So I was wondering if you could talk a bit about why you think the integration of women behind the camera has been so slow. Right. I've been looking into that, and the more you look, the madder it makes you, because 75% of the awards this year in the non-gendered actor categories are still going to men. And I think it's a lot of things that has to do with the work world broadly. I think a lot of women or young girls don't know that these are places that they can succeed, right? So we have to encourage young women. And then they're not given the same opportunities because unfortunately, once the industry became a business, um, it was originally dominated by men and continues to be. And studies show that people hire people who look like them, right? So we continue to have this hiring of men. And a lot of the people who have the money they put in think that only, for example, men could be directors or cinematographers. The directing thing makes me really angry because we have pictures that get nominated for best picture, like Can You Ever Forgive Me, and not for best director. And I do think people don't really understand what directors do. And I think so they think it's the pictures where there's like some big battle or some special effects. They don't understand how much directors are involved with getting the good acting out of people. So if there's good acting, you should recognize the director. And I don't think we always do that. And the films women get to do tend to be more about families or personal interactions a lot of the time. I think that's why we got Catherine Bigelow with The Hurt Locker, because the movie fit more with the genre of what we think of as big movies. Mm -hmm. And so hopefully as more women realize they can succeed here and have more mentors and that the men in the industry recognize that films like Wonder Woman and, you know, even way back to Twilight, not that I love Twilight, but it made a ton of money. But these movies, we used to think, or the industry used to think that women didn't go to movies in enough numbers, but they do, right? So hopefully things will start to change. I'm wondering if you could talk a bit about, obviously award shows as a whole are very gendered in their just kind of how they unfold, you know, with the red carpet and people kind of on display because of the big social movements that have been happening with Time's Up and Me Too. I'm wondering if you think that the Oscars kind of can move away from that objectification and become a more feminist platform. I think the Oscars is probably going to be the slowest because I think of it as the most traditional of the ceremonies. So luckily we have people who attend and participate who are changing. Like, 
even to the fact that we're starting to see more different visuals in terms of dress, which used to be so gendered. So we'll see more transgender people and people choosing to dress in alternate ways or not just follow gender norms that you have to wear a dress if you're a woman. So that's a small thing, but I think it makes a big difference. And then on top of that, I think it's the speeches people give and moments of solidarity, like embracing the Me Too movement. So I think the participants are starting to make a change. And um, looking at some of the uh, Best Picture nominees, two of them, Roman the Favorite, are fem females at the lead role. And my like interpretation when I saw them, um, with my own bias as a white cis man, was that they're very feminist and very empowering because, like you were saying, the roles that we don't see women usually do, but they are both directed by men. So I was wondering if you could talk about how men behind the camera can be more involved in shaping female characters. That's a tough one. I feel like they succeeded, and I imagine that there were really strong partnerships between the directors and the actresses on these productions. And I know that for Roma, Roma um, the director, did a lot of background interviews with the maid from his childhood that it was based on. Um, so I definitely think it's possible. I do also think we need more women, and it's not even that we just need more women, we need all different people and then we'll get different stories. But I think those two directors achieved a feminist viewpoint, so I definitely think it's possible. Thanks for listening. That's all for this week on Statue Chat. Be sure to tune in next time when I dive deep into African-American representation in the films and nominations for the 2019 Oscars. Catch you around.